Hello, book lovers. You're listening to Both Sides Book Club with Katie and Debbie Allen. Every two weeks we get together and chat about a different book. We can't promise you that we will always agree, but then there are at least two sides to every story. Why don't you read with us and join in the conversation? Let's go. Hi, and welcome to Both Sides Book Club. You're with Debbie and Katie. And can you believe that we are on our 26th episode? I know. And so that's a year. We're Yay! one year old. <laughs> one year old with Both Sides Book Club. So thank you so much absolutely to everybody that has been supporting us and following us um, for the last year. And thank you to all of the readers out there. If you have read all 26 books, then congratulations. Give yourself a big big clap on the back yes you did you read 26 books in a year and we read 26 and counting a couple more congratulations (laughs) thank you (laughs) so to celebrate our 26th episode and our first birthday we have got an absolute cracker for you we hope that you've been enjoying it as much as we have so our book is The Lamplighters by Emma Stonex and yeah so tell us more about it. So for a bit of a recap for anybody that has read it or didn't read it and would like to read it um, this book is a mystery novel and it follows two timelines one in 1972 and 20 years and the other timeline 20 years later. So it follows um, the disappearance of three men that are uh, lighthouse keepers and Then it flips to the timeline of this author that's wanting to understand a little bit more about what happened with this disappearance and is interviewing the wives. So it is very interesting. So it's not just a mystery as all of our Both Sides Book Club books. We do not just choose something that is, you know, just one themed. It is multifaceted. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Lots, lots to talk about. And, um, it's just there are just so many so many layers to this book, yeah. which I think it was absolutely fascinating. Before we dive into talking a little bit about the book and unpacking it, I think um, what's really interesting is to understand a little bit about the author Emma yeah. Stonex. Yeah, so Emma Stonex um, is an author um, based in the UK. Now. Um, the Lamplighters is not her first novel, but it is her first novel written under her own name. Emma um, used to work in publishing and she's actually written seven novels before this, different kind of genres, um, but she's always written, written them under a pseudonym. So almost as though she was kind of like practicing, putting on mm. different writing styles, different personas until she wrote this novel and this novel was really really important to her yeah I think it's really interesting um that I think through lots of different creative practices and I well there's kind of two parts to this um in our last book that we read um I found it amazing that the author was a screenwriter, yeah. right? And so she had a different set of skills to be able to look at her own work. And when we spoke, spoke to her about, um, you know, would she ever make her book into a, a film? She was like, oh, yeah, 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 we've already been brainstorming mm. that. So I found it really interesting that Emma Stonex had 
been in publishing because, mm. you know, when we speak to a lot of our authors, they go through this series of going, oh, yeah, I sent it to my publisher and we had to change a whole bunch and a whole bunch mm. and a whole bunch and a whole bunch. And so I just was like wondering how could you imagine the complexity of looking at your work through a creative and then also like having to edit it? I know you did a little bit of an yeah. editing course. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was actually um, um, listening to an interview that um, that Emma Stonex gave and, and, and they were asking exactly um, that question. And I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that she said in a way it almost made it, made it, easier because um, as an editor you don't expect to receive kind of like a fully formed manuscript mm. it's never actually perfect whereas I think authors perhaps think that um, that they have to and hand in something that that's completely polished but it's actually the editor's job to um obviously to correct spellings and punctuation and so on but to to look at the storyline and polish the manuscript yeah, right. so um so that it gets to you know the best that it possibly can be in order to be published so emma was actually saying that she in fact it almost gave her the freedom for it not to be completely formed mm. um, and um, that's cool mm. I didn't know that yeah that's really interesting because I f yeah I do feel that and I think a lot of the time even in my work I feel a lot of pressure to hand over something like fully formed yeah because you're so nervous that it's not going to be understood properly or that you just need to get it all out mm. so I think you know that could have been really helpful although I wonder mm. how many drafts she had to do I don't know I don't know I don't know that's a question <laughs> you'd have to ask if you're, editing, if you're editing as you're going yeah. I wonder how many yeah. how many drafts that you'd have to yeah. redraft and redraft um, um, but I think but I think sort of um what what I started to allude to um earlier was that this is Emma's first book written under her own name yeah. and it's such it's a really really important book for her she first conceived of the book seven years before she started to write it and it was something that was just germinating in her brain and it was a story that she really really wanted to tell um and of course if you you know if if you've been following um for the last couple of weeks or if you know a little bit about the book you'll know that the book was inspired by a true event can you tell yeah. us about that yeah so the in the 1900s, there actually was a disappearance of three lighthouse keepers. Um, and in the author's note, I'll actually just read the author's note just because I yeah. think it's an important um, way to start. So in the author's note, it says, in December 1900, um, 1900 the three lighthouse keepers disappeared from a remote rock light on the island of Oh, Eileen Moore. Eileen Moore on the outer Hebrides. Sorry, Hebrides. <laughs> <laughs> I have to rely on mum to translate the, the Scottish English islands for me. Their names were Thomas Marshall, James Duckett, and Donald MacArthur. The Lamplighters is inspired by and written in respectful memory of this event, but the work is of fiction, therefore bears no resemblance to these men's lives or their characters. So there actually was this disappearance, which I find 
fascinating because it's still not solved. No. The people still have no, no. idea how on earth these what men earth happened to them? went missing and nobodies were found and it's just, it's, it's crazy. Even though it is um, Emma obviously has written fiction here, yeah. there are a few, few things that link the two. Um, for example, I found it really interesting that the clocks actually were set in, were they? in real life. Oh, I didn't realize yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, at quarter to nine, yeah. so 8.45. Yeah. So that actually was a true a true thing. So when they went in into the lighthouse, the clocks were like that. Oh, no way. Yeah, it's super weird. Yeah. Um, and then also the other thing that um, Emma plays is that um, there's all these like false sightings. So basically in all the periodicals, all the newspapers of the time, there's all these people that have gone, oh, I think I saw this person or I think I saw that. And, and Well, that often tends to happen, doesn't it, yeah. with, with, with famous missing people? You're like, mm. oh, I swear I just saw that person. Mm. And I don't know, I find that so like fascinating how we, like humans are so good with their imaginations that we can we feel like we we can imagine seeing someone and mm. you get like a, yeah. a glimpse or like, oh, I definitely saw that. So that was that that I found really interesting. And then also that the doors were locked from the inside. So that also yes. was. Well, that hence the whole locked room mystery, mystery. is that it's yeah. the impossible, the impossible puzzle. You yeah. know, how could these men have disappeared when nobody could get in and they couldn't get out? Exactly. So. The one thing that Emma does, um, well, the one thing, she does many things that sets these two stories apart, but the, the main thing is that she changes the time period. Yeah. So instead of um, it being in the early 1900s, it's in 1972. And um, when you listen to Emma Stonex talk a little bit about why she decided to do that first, um, she felt that it would be insensitive to write a book that's exactly, I mean, these these because it is a true event there are families and, and the mystery has never actually been, been solved. solved there are families that have lost you know people and loved ones through this event so out of respect she decided to change the time period but also because in 1972 there was a change with um well not 1972 after 19 after the 1970s there was a change in the way that the lighthouses were run yeah yeah. Now, I find this absolutely fascinating um, in that um, I can't, can't I actually can't remember the exact date, but I think it was it, I think it was the late 1980s when uh, the last lighthouse in the UK became automated. So lighthouse keepers were no more. Um, and today, of course, all over the world, they are all automated. Um, but so in the 1970s, apparently, um, as the, the lighthouse keeper role was starting to be phased out, there was quite a lot written um, about lighthouse keepers. A yeah, lot, lot fading of, out. I know, I know. <laughs> lots, um, lots of journals and um, biographies from lighthouse keepers. And Emma extensively researched um, a lot of these accounts in order to be able to depict the life of these these lighthouse lighthouse keepers mm. um, and wasn't that wasn't that an interesting part of the book mm. I think there's so much fascination between um, between like so many people with lighthouses you know they have yeah. they have this 
it's like mum and I were talking about this previously that it's not nostalgia for lighthouses but everybody almost has this romanticized idea about the lighthouse I know if you talk to me about a little lighthouse keeper I'm imagining like a small little lighthouse on a headland with a with um you know a guy with little glasses and a, and a red beanie and he it's comes like, out a, with his lamp. There's a whole lamp. series of children's books. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't there? Anyone read those? A, a beautiful series of picture books but I think they were actually called The Lighthouse Keeper yeah. and it was exactly that the red and white striped, striped light, lighthouse. With a little lamp and goes yes. up and he and he's smoking a pipe. Yes exactly and lights the lamp or even um What's that? There's that movie that um, oh, recently came out, based on another on, on another book that. Oh. The lighthouse keeper's wife, I think. Yes, it was. yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Mm. And that was, you mm. know, it had turbulence in it, but yeah. it was still beautiful and romanticized. Yeah. And you kind of imagine this life of a lighthouse keeper going out and looking out into the ocean and watching the sunrise and mm. helping all these people. But again. If um, beautiful thing about fiction is it gives you a perspective that you perhaps hadn't thought of. Yeah. And you go, oh, gee whiz, that actually sounds pretty isolating. Totally. And this, <laughs> and this, um, Emma chose to um, for for the the mystery or, or like the story to happen not on um, a lighthouse on an island but actually in a rock in the middle of the ocean. So the only way on or off was by boat. So, you know, there was no strolling about the island. No veggie um, garden. No veggie garden, no sheep, no. No, no romantic sort of lifestyle. It was literally when the keepers were in the lighthouse, they were in the lighthouse and the rooms were all curved. And, and even the beds, the beds, yeah. even the beds had to fit around the circular yeah. walls of, of the lighthouse. Um, and I think, you know, the, the discipline of these men, I, I had actually never really thought, mm -hmm. thought about that. I guess because, yeah, we do have this romantic notion of it, but um, the reason there were three of them is that somebody always had to be on call. On, call, on watch. Um, on watch. Um, and the light constantly had to be tended and all of these jobs had to be done. Um, and, you know, and these guys, three of them would be living together in a very, very small space for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks at a time. Yeah, not able to exercise, you know, except for going for little up and, up and, up down, and down the, the stairs, um, eating tinned canned things. Um, I actually read this and felt um, somewhat like, oh gosh, they're in quarantine in the 1970s. You know yeah. how at the moment so many of us have had to go through quarantine um, periods of two weeks mm. and not been able to exercise and living in a tight quarters with, you know, your loved ones. And it made me go, oh, wow. Okay, mm. that would have been really 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 challenging and so I guess what I wanted to talk about a little bit was the fact that I think oh, there's kind of, there's two there's two schools of thought one is obviously in Emma's writing it is so beautiful the way that she has tied you can tell that she's got a love for the ocean very much so and you can see I feel like the Her writing uh, is just absolutely yeah. exquisite when she get when she's when writing, writing about, about the, the ocean. about the ocean yeah 
And I think being an ocean lover myself and understanding a lot about the ocean and how the waves move, mm. I really felt like the men's emotions and um, how they were feeling going through these different days was a metaphor for how the ocean moves. Yeah, the two were, were, the two were linked. It were linked. You know, mm. some days you have this beautiful still day, the ocean's really glassy, you could take a boat out, you could go do whatever, and you and and some and some days in, for the men in 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 the lighthouse it's it's just still it's quiet no, nothing's it's really happening it's peaceful and then some days there's little surges and then some days there's a big tremonstrous crashing waves and, and other days it's chaos. foggy yeah and other days mm. it's foggy and mm. i thought that was really beautiful so i really loved reading the way that emma picked the ocean yeah i think um um one of the characters talks about it in in the book, you know, the kind of personality, the kind of person who would choose to become a lighthouse keeper. Mm. And I thought I found that was absolutely, absolutely fascinating because you would have to be somebody who um, was disciplined, self-disciplined, mm. um, somebody who didn't mind the isolation Mm. and the loneliness but also someone who would actually have to get on with other people because you'd have yeah. to you're in such such close quarters but that's what i found interesting about the relationship between the men is they were friendly but i felt like they didn't have like they had teamwork in a practical way but not in a like it's not like mm. they they came together and they were a family mm. you know and and it made me kind of think a little bit more about the way that different people I guess deal like different person exactly what you're saying yeah. different personalities but also the way that different people deal with isolation and the way yeah. that they get on with things mm. you know and I think um the beauty of this book as well as with the dual timelines of the wives 20 years later mm. you also see how they have suffered from isolation as well mm. because I was thinking when I read this book could do, do I think that I could have a partner that would do time like that in quarantine like in a quarantine environment well what it reminds me of is you know fly in fly out yeah fifo um fifo mm. workers w where you know the they are whether it's the you yeah. know the, the the man or or the woman because obviously exactly both work away um at different times is is um really sort of brought that to mind in, in that whilst will assume that it's the the guy who's working away. Um, so, you know, the women had to, the women had the children, they had the house, they actually had to go on with the day-to-day -day living and organise everything and, and and do that and be in charge and, and, and be in control whilst the guys are off doing their specialised, their specialised job, but in a very sort of rarefied Envi yeah. in environment a very sort of controlled environment environment yeah but then they come home and everything has to shift exactly yeah i mean with the fifo i i think be from what i've heard i'm lucky i don't have a partner that mm. does fifo but um from what i've heard from lots of accounts from friends because i've got lots of friends mm. that do fifo yeah. is you know, at least that way they're, they're going into a new community, whereas this is like a very specialised... The, going to the lighthouse is a new community, I mm. guess, but it is so, so restricted. 
Incredibly so. And then you kind of see when they come back home and the wives are trying to make sure that everything's perfect and they have their last meal and it's all set up for them to feel welcomed back. I just was like, oh, would you get like a bit of PTSD or like just this adjustment to having to go from only speaking to three people and not being able to leave your house to then having kids at home and friends? And yeah, having like, to be a complete, could you imagine? having to be a different person. Yeah, you, you would. Know, um, I think that that would be incredibly difficult and we see that. I mean, Emma, you know, writes that beautifully. We really do see that. I think the character of, of Helen, who is um, Arthur, the headkeeper's wife, um, at some point mentions that is that, you know, she both welcomes him coming home, but also she resents it because um, she also has to behave differently mm. when, when he's home. And you can kind of see those, see those tensions playing out. Um, whereas Jenny, Bill's mm. wife, you know, is is far more needy, it exactly. seems, yeah. um, and bases her whole life on when Bill is going is going to be home, which of course then puts the pressure on Bill also. On Bill, yeah, it does. It's mm. it's very interesting relationship dynamic, and I think the thing that what I was kind of saying before that Emma does so beautifully is that she shows how isolation can impact lots of different people in different ways. You know, mm. yes, of course, the men are are physically isolated mm. and they're going through their experience too but the wives are feeling isolated in themselves as well because they're left with with having to just get on with life i mm. think the thing that you see with helen is this beautiful beautiful world that emma well be not beautiful world that emma paints but beautiful um person that she creates is that you can see that helen's pain of losing her child has made her feel incredibly isolated. Very much so. You know, so we've got yeah, this contrast so. of Arthur who's physically isolated and also he lost his child too. Yeah, yeah. So he's going through an emotional and he isolation. And he blames himself and knows that Helen subconsciously yeah. also blames him. So that creates the, you know, the uh, the chasm between them. Mm. And you, and that then, they can't breach exactly. And then you and you see these chapters of Helen just feeling so isolated and and interested in Bill because I think it's a it's a way to uh, to escape her isolation. So it's it's you've done a great job, Emma, because it's really yeah. you've played with lots of different complex and lots I mean, of emotions. Yeah, and I think. Um, I think a far more simplistic, I know, um, again, um, from having um, read interviews that Emma has, has given, that, you know, she, she struggled for a long time to be able to put all of those individual voices. So if you haven't actually read the book yet, um, it, it's not really a spoiler in that we have six voices in the book. So we have each of the three um, lighthouse keepers and then we also have each of the three women told at, at, at various points and the whole story comes together obviously you know towards the end we have all of these different voices adding layers mm. and filling in the gaps of the story um, and um, I know that Emma struggled with um, particularly trying to find the women's voices mm. Because they're told in the in the first person as though they're actually 
giving giving an interview. Recounts, yeah. Um, but I think it works. It actually works really, really well to give all of those differing points of view. And I think, I mean, how did you feel um, about the fact that the women actually um, weren't really friends? Uh, you know, in the in the in the rather than them all kind of coming together mm. in their grief when mm. when the lighthouse keepers go go missing, it actually fractures them. Um, mm. And um, did you think that that was plausible? Did you think that was a yeah, good way of I, doing it? Yeah, I think so because, mm. I mean, I, I feel like I am going a little bit in circles, so I apologise to everybody, but it, it, it is quite a complex book and I'm trying just to re- mm. remember how I felt with each of because as mum says, it does follow these six voices and all of them are very well-rounded characters. There's yeah. not a single character that I feel like doesn't have an emotional backstory, which yeah. I think Emma did really, really well. Um, but... I think the fra- the fact that they are so fractured again pra- pl- plays tri- um, pays tribute to this different way that people can feel isolated. You know, mm. some people can go through trauma and have to cling, and you see that with 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 Jenny and Bill. Like she's trying to cling on to him. Yeah. But then in but through the horrible incident of her husband's disappearance. Her, the way that she responds to that is to is to pull back pull back you know yeah. and so yeah i do think it's really plausible because there is no way there is no format to how one should grieve or how one should um yeah. come to terms come to terms you know and hmm. to be with un- something that's open ended with something that's so open ended and you and you can imagine um you know, similarly, how we were talking a few books back about if something's unsolved, that how that can play on people's minds. Yeah, all, there's no resolution. There's no resolution. And that, and I think that's what you see. And mm. perhaps reaching out to them, to the other women, to create a relationship is perhaps too painful if mm. they haven't still, they haven't had any sort of resolution. Mm. So, yeah, I did think it was extremely plausible because... You know, not not all things have a happy ending. Mm. And yeah. as much as, you know, we, I, I am 100% for us women all sticking together and, you know, bonding through, sometimes it just doesn't happen. It just ha- doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen that yeah. way. And and yeah. we're only people and we just, and sometimes we go through things really internally. Yeah. And I, and I guess the reason for them being friends in the first place, i.e. the fact that their husbands were Exactly. We're working, working together is removed. So, you know, the, the really isn't that glue perhaps no, to, yeah. for them, that common. That common thing they, anymore. Mm. And I guess because they weren't on the lighthouse with them, mm. they weren't in that relationship with the men when they yeah. were there. Yeah, yeah. You can understand that if, if once they're gone, yeah, mm. what's, what's left? There's... Mm. Mm. Um, Emma introduces um, quite aside from the story of the, the 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 lighthouse keepers. Emma also sort of introduces a vaguely sort of supernatural element into into the story on the lighthouse. What did you think about that? With the the flying of the birds and the shadowy figure that that comes in, do you think that was? Do you think that worked, or do you think that that was kind of a bit superfluous? I think it worked in the way that she writes. Yeah. 
you know, but it, it could have been a bit superfluous. But I feel like because she has this, this like beauty in describing the ocean and all the natural elements, I felt like it did, it, it worked. It allowed you, you to sort of your imagination to play a little bit on and, mm. and probably gave like a little bit of softness to what is quite an intense yeah. um, emotional book. Yeah, I mean, I thought that, um, you know, it, it kind, of, kind of actually fitted with the whole mythology of, of, yeah, of seafarers and, and, and the yeah. sea and, and the albatross. And, and there's so much and in the Scotland with the water. Well, and, well exactly. Mm. I mean, you know, because obviously seafarers are, yeah, are, exactly. are very superstitious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know um, a bit about so, seafarers, uh, don't you? So, um, so I kind of felt that that added that element of the unknown to you know to 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 the story yeah and also I guess in a way I kind of saw it as a bit of a metaphor of the fact that all of the guys were going slightly insane Mm. um being being stuck there that you know they began to see and hear things that's true and was it real? Was it imagined? Yeah, was it some sort of supernatural true. thing? So Just, I think I, I thought it worked really well. For our Aussie audience, what is a seafarer? Because <laughs> I feel like a sailor. Someone who goes someone who goes to sea for a living. <laughs> I just thought I would put that out there. <laughs> um, so yeah, I thought it was a really good book. Um as I sort of said in my check-in, I'm not normally one that goes for a historic-based mm. book, but this, it is, it's this, it, it is really beautiful. So I, I encourage people that um, are like me and don't like historic books. It's, a, it's not really a historic book. It, it is much more a locked mystery murder, locked room mystery, mm. m- mystery, um, mystery murder, locked room. What's the a technical lock, term? Yeah, a, a locked room mystery. A locked room yes. mystery. Yes. Um, and, and I'm actually going to take exception that you're calling it a, a historical novel. Why? It was set in 1972. Oh, I was up. I was born and alive. It was based on an event that was happening. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, Is it, are the 1970s history? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean it that way. I just meant that it, it was inspired by a historic event. It was, yeah. You know, it and, was. Some, and sometimes I feel like you, when that happens, it can be for me for my tastes a little bit too like um um, in the past in the past yes but it's not this book is amazing it's really it's it's really a mystery and and it's really really interesting to read yes and you may or may not find out what happened yes we will see we will see so okay move on to may Yes. Cannot believe we're in May. I know. Oh, my goodness me. So for May, because Mother's Day is coming up. Yes. um, And we'll let you know some more details about that later. We have chosen two books about being a mother, about motherhood. Yes. Yes. And also because we're expecting expecting the little Chino to come out. Absolutely. So our First book for May is called The Funny Thing About Norman Foreman by Juliet Henderson. So um, Juliet is an Australian author um, and this book is just delightful. 
it's just such a gorgeous, gorgeous book. The basic storyline is that um, Sadie is a single mother um, and um, her son, Norman, Norman Foreman, has a best friend called Jax. And together the boys kind of have a comedy duet and their ambition is to go to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and perform sometime within the next five years. However, and again, it's not a spoiler, Jax dies and Norman is left as a bereaved 12-year-old who doesn't know which way is up, which way is down. So Sadie develops a plan to get Norman to the Edinburgh Comedy Festival. And it's just lovely. It's gorgeous. The, the, the voice from both, the, the voices from both of them are just so beautiful. It's really, really nice. Yeah. So again, change of pace. And we are so excited for you to read this one with us in May. So we'll chat to you very soon. Again, happy birthday to us. Yeah. <laughs> and congratulations.